I want to share a thought with you that the one thing about having a formal service is this is that acts as its own hindrance at some point is that when you're in the heart of worship, when you're in the just in, in the center of your spirit, you are communing with God, however that it looks like for you. One of the worst things we can do is cut off that moment for you. And so when we come together for church, there's kind of a formal moment, but there's also an informal. And I like to kind of give an opportunity at the end because the informal is the time that you spend with God that feels like it could go on endlessly. And brothers and sisters, I have to tell you that that's the heart of what has to happen here. We have to get to the place where we entertain God in the Spirit of God, even whether it's through the sermon, after the sermon, in the middle of worship, or sometimes we say, let's sing that song again, and let's stay there. Because in the privacy of your own heart, you need to stay in, a, in an attitude of communion with God. That's where change happens. That's where change happens. And sometimes we talk about tarrying or staying longer, essentially, God does never turns out the, the light. And, and I want to provoke you with this one thought. God reaches you to the level of your hunger. Whatever your hunger is. If you are really hungry for the Lord, and you want God front and center, Lord, just be front and center in my life. And I want to spend as much time as you are willing to take with me, Lord, to redefine and to define my life to deal with fears and sorrows and heartaches or anything that comes. And I want to stay here and let you do your work and just filter into my heart. You and I both know that doesn't happen like this. And you can't turn it on and you can't turn it off. There's a season when usually I've noticed is when the kind of turn off moment is for me isn't because I usually felt like the Lord left. It's because I felt a need to move forward or to do something different. And generally speaking, it's like I'm compelled to have to go for whatever reason. But I want, to, I want to encourage you to spend some time with the Lord. And I want you to stay there and let the Lord do His work inside of you. You know, I'm encouraging um, at any time you feel the, the Holy Spirit urging you to an altar or whatever, or the Holy Spirit's urging you to turn around and pray in your seat, Anything that the Holy Spirit is urging you to do, just do it. Because the, the center part of change in our life isn't what happened outwardly. It's what's happening inside of me. It's what's going on inside. And there's something about the love of Jesus as it's being revealed to you that stills every fear. That's why the Word of God tells us that perfect love casts out all fear. And as I was thinking about the Sheffield family and as we we're praying for them and imagining kind of for myself, trying to imagine what it's like in his shoes and even in her shoes and thinking about the children and the family involved. And one of the things I deeply sense is for
Okay, I think we're there. There we are. Okay, we lost a little bit of stride, but we're going to get right back on track because uh, you guys are on your A game. Um, now, Dinah, the daughter of Leah, whom she had borne to Jacob, went out to see the daughters of the land. And when Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite, prince of the country, saw her, he took her and lay with her and violated we're calling this uh, message this morning is blended worship. I don't know why, but it feels like that the Lord has had um, for us is the things that interfere with true worship. And you're going to see in this story something that interferes with what true worship is all about. And I think we got to get a picture of both of them, but I, for some reason the Lord has us here, so I'm going to just keep on it. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that a part of what the Holy Spirit does is He is communicating to us the most uh, direct way that you can, and that's spirit to spirit. Not ears hearing, Lord, or mind studying, but through my spirit I'm receiving something from your spirit. And today, Lord, you have that for us. We stand in need of what the Holy Spirit wants to convey to our spirit to give us a sense of life to help us understand what the battle is all about, Lord, and where we stand. And Lord, I praise you, Father, for the Holy Spirit making the things that are unseen real to us. And they become so real to us that without our seeing it, Father, we know it to be true. And so today I pray that would you not hide from us, but reveal and unveil in every way things that are unseen to us to help us capture and hold on with all of our heart the will of God for us, and to understand how to continue forward and walk in the grace of God in our life. We thank you, Jesus, that everything in this Bible was written for our admonition. Father, things that we don't live in the, in the way of, but Lord, we see it at work in our world so that we can. So Holy Spirit, would you give me? I would be honored today if you would give me the anointing to say the things that need to be said, Lord, and if you would anoint those that are listening today, to be able to hear it exactly how you want them to hear it today, Lord. Yes. And I'm so grateful for the grace, Lord, that you would do this purely and merely out of your love, not out of anybody's earning or deserving. You are so faithful. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. We see this story of the only daughter that Jacob had. Twelve sons and one daughter. I'd hate to be the girl in that story. <laughs> I can only imagine what life looked like for her, but I can also see another side to it. I would be the father that would favor her because there's no other. She has no other sister to have competition for for her father's love. But I don't know because it doesn't tell us the engagement of Jacob's heart to his daughter Dinah and anything there. We could... Uh, speculate a lot of things, but we just don't know. But this story is, I would like to think, probably uh, his daughter is near and dear to him, but I don't know. But aside from that, there's something going on here, and she is probably like a lot of our kids have been. If you're a parent, you know that your kids have had some kind of, I want to explore the world or see something that's going on, because living in a Christian home especially. Now, I didn't grow up in a Christian home, so I wasn't uh, my mom and dad didn't protect me from some of the obscene things and evil stuff that comes from our world. And so I had 
as much grasp as I suppose I was willing to take in it. And yet, in our home, because of those convictions stored inside of me, and the weight of that being that I just want to honor God in my house. And the battle it is just to keep our kids safe from. I remember going down when, when they were young, but impressionable still. And, you know, I'd walk down aisles, magazine aisles and stuff, never thought to even take a look. And it was never a concern to me until I realized my little boy right behind me could be looking. And that started changing my grasp of, well, I don't want him to see those things. And I realized that the world became strictly far more difficult to deal with when it was trying to just protect my own kids. And then as they've gotten older and come into their teenage years, I realized all this work to protect them has not necessarily afforded me what I've wanted for them. And what I really want is this, the principle of, I want the relationship with Jesus and the love for Him binding upon their hearts to gauge them through life, to direct them on what they ought to listen to, look at, and live for, and that that be so powerful that their engagement with God determines the, the direction of their life for the rest of their life, and Dad can let go. See, when we're parenting, we're struggling because we're just wanting to be able to let go, and I see this in a picture with Dinah, the daughter of Jacob, and how she got out the gates, I don't know. You know, it's, it's like, how did they get out? I've pinned them in. I've locked the doors. I, everything I tried to do is to keep this from happening. And we don't know if that was the case here. But I would suggest that that's the kind of the danger that she's walking into, is there's something that the world is calling, and it's, it's a form of an attraction. And the Bible doesn't tell us that sin is always without pleasure, or you're always going to hate the results of sin. As a matter of fact, it says it comes with pleasure. I think the end result will be devastating, but the immediate uh, experience will be something that we kind of want to walk into. And so, Father, I believe this, that the devil knows how to make it look good. I mean, you know, we bait the hook. You know, you don't just throw the hook out there. And I think the reality is, is that there's a hook baited for people. And if we're not walking with the Lord, it's not the kind of bait that you're going to, oh, well, I don't have Jesus in my life and I'm... You know, I'm pretty much not attracted to the world. It'll find its way into your life. So it was with her. And so she walked into the situation and Shechem took advantage of his opportunity in that moment. And uh, we begin to just take a look at this character of Shechem. And what we find in this man is that his character... Somebody's got to shut off my phone. <laughs> it's supposed to have no disturb, but evidently it's disturbing us here. <laughs> Whose phone is that? That's the pastor's phone. Oh, wow, we got troubles now. What we see in him is his character is married to the world. He's married to the world. But he's beginning to get involved with Jacob's bloodline. And he wants to marry into Jacob's bloodline. He wants to marry into Jacob's family. He wants to get a... But he's married to the world. And you have to realize that this is the problem that we face. We face it on a daily basis. We can learn a lot of lessons from it. But my first point is, this is the reason. The fact that his character is married to the world is the reason why when he gets intimately involved in the bloodline of Jacob, by default, he perverts it. Some people will have a look at religion and church just the same exact way. Is that when we get in, they get involved in the church, if the, the world is not subdued in their life, if the love of the world is always locked in, then when I invite you to the salvation of Jesus to surrender your life to Christ, 
that will prevent you from truly surrendering to Jesus. You won't find the will of God tucked in, buried into your want for the world. And so there's a surrender, there's a dying when we come to Christ. There's something, a spiritual work that has to be done by the Holy Spirit to end the old self and the old way of life. The principle at work inside of us that's not just about getting what I want out of the world, but really the element of what's within the world is getting what satisfies me. What gratifies me. And so that has to come to an end. Or I'm going to struggle desperately to find how is it that God in His beauty and His wonder and His holiness is intermixed with, blended into this love of the world inside of me. Because every time I go to worship God, I'm struggling with this pull of the world to get me back into. Whether it's a television program or if it's something else that I'm just locked into drawing me away from the presence of Jesus and an opportunity to. And one of the first checks we could have in our life is, is how desperate are you for the revelation of God to give you a divine revelation out of His Word? How hard is it when it's trying to find a way to be able to pray in the busyness of life? And then you find some people, and it's regardless of their busyness, that you can tell they have an intimate union with Jesus and it keeps drawing them to Him. It's not that they don't have a fight on their hands. It's just they learned how to wage war against the battle of the world by the one thing being set right and their character is no longer married to the world. But we see this struggle in him and I think we can find that in so many different ways. One of the other things here is that the Shechemite idol, so in these they carried idols, was called Baal Barak. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, but Baal the Covenant. Baal of the Covenant. And basically he is the God of peace, not of war. So Essentially, everybody serves a God. Like I don't have religion, but you do have a God in your life. You serve some kind of a form, whether that God is married to what I want or something else. But I think I see this in this, this verse is that sometimes we think of people who are not connected with Jesus to be completely in conflict with the principles of Christianity. And so we think of ourselves constantly in a place of war. But the kind of framework that we see in him is even though he's married to the world, He's at peace. He's trying to be at peace with the church, in a sense. And this is where the conflict, the great conflict of life, is starts. And this is why worship has to be taught as a pure thing. Let's go to verse three through four. Verses three through four in Genesis chapter thirty-four. It says his soul was strongly attracted to Dinah, the daughter of Jacob. And he loved the young woman and spoke kindly to the young woman. So Shechem spoke to his father Hamor, saying, Get me this young woman as a wife. Here's a point I want to share with you. Shechem, having lacked moral restraints over his passions, lacked the discretion in his dealings. Here he's thinking to himself after, there's not a man in this room, you do this to my daughter. There's not a man in this room that's going to let you be the husband. You can walk out that door or you can walk out that door with me pointing a shotgun at you, but you're not getting that. And, and here's what's interesting is we don't find Jacob getting to the forefront of this. You find her brothers. 
<laughs> this is where you want 12 brothers. <laughs> These guys already armed and ready for battle. But that's the problem is there's going to see something else within this story that doesn't require fortitude, might, or power, or strength, or the willingness to see justice or defense or defend what's right and wrong. Actually, if we're not careful, our attitude about defending right and wrong could be the very thing that keeps us from being able to worship God. We, in our Western culture, mentality is it's all about what's right, wrong, legal, illegal, those kinds of things. And we get this thing where it's, it's more about what's right and wrong than it is about the person that's in front of me. And sometimes we're missing the mark because both of them are included in it. But this is really important here. And so this was not to be ignored. This wasn't to be something that they had no care for or that they were to just, you know, haphazardly figure out what was the resolve. But I could imagine this is how am I supposed to, I don't want to make peace with, but yet when you get connected with God, there's something about the love of God that Jesus said, forgive those that have offended against you. How many of us got something in our life? You, it's, you've sort of said, I've forgiven. But the reality check is, you haven't. Because there's a defense, this is not right, and you shouldn't get away with this, and it's getting in the way of worship. So perversion leaks into every thread of life, which from, for some defines their religion also. So whenever there's a point of perversion, folks, you can't let that stay there. Yes, we come to God with where we are and who we are, but the, the powerful fact of it is, is that it has to change. It has to come to its point of change. And we're redefining the love of God and the character of God based upon the values and the morals of our own life oftentimes. And so if you allow yourself in any kind of immoral framework in your life and then try and get into the gospel of Jesus, get back into the Bible and what it says about the love of God, what you will find is the love of God is pure. The love of God is holy. The love of God recreates us. The love of God redefines us. But if we bring into the presence that impurity with the resistance in our will for that love to redefine us, it won't be long before we redefine the love. And it will sound very similar. It will sound very gospel-oriented. And it will be so far from the very heart of God that it's nothing like it. And it becomes its own form of perversion. And then we begin to worship God in that perversion. It's the idol that we hold on to. Essentially, if you look at Shechem and his character mindset is, his mindset is to get the good that comes out of Jacob's bloodline. Get the good of what, whatever's going on in Jacob's life. But there's a whole other figure to this, and that is the God that Jacob is ruled by. I want to share a couple. I want to share one quote with you by A.W. Uh, Tozer. He says this. I among those I am among those who believe that our western civilization is on its way to perishing. It has many commendable qualities, most of which it has borrowed from Christian ethic. But it lacks the element of moral wisdom that would give it permanence. 
future historians will record that we of the 20th century had intelligence enough to create a great civilization, but not the moral wisdom to preserve it. Oh, that's powerful. Man, that's, that just sinks into my heart. Is That's the struggle that we're in in the moment, is we have the wisdom, just not the more, we have the uh, intelligence, but not the moral wisdom. There's something about Christian ethics and the mindset behind it that's very attractive. One of the things that I've admired about Christian people is their kindness. The other thing I admire is, is especially if there's genuineness, they're, they're the best people. That I mean, if you want somebody to do work for you and do a fair job and be decent with their prices and take care of you, it's usually a Christian man or a woman. There's so many things that are interlinked to our brothers and our sisters in the faith that it's attractive because the world looks at it. I would look at it. If I was still very much about the world, I would still favor having you in my life. Sometimes some of you have this contagious joy that every time I get around you, I'm like, I just want to be around you for your joy. I love that. Some people have just a positive outlook on everything. I remember, I think it was Leonard Ravenhill was talking, he was telling a story of a man that was talking to an older woman, if I remember correctly. And the statement was made to her. He said, he said you, have, you always have good to say. And the statement was also included, you would probably have something good to say about the devil also. And she made the statement back, well, he is industrious. But there's, a, there's something about, even if I don't want to surrender to what it is about your life, the unselfishness or the commitment to be a part of what God's doing, I still want a product of what's coming from you. And so there's something about this in, in Shechem's story is there's a thread of, I want something, but I don't want the other part of it that's holding him back and that's keeping him back. But listen to what he says, because you get the impression that there's something very different about. He's, it's as if he's willing to completely abandon himself too. Let's go look at verses 8-10. through 10. This is, But Hamor spoke with him, saying, The soul of my son Shechem longs for your daughter. Please give her to him as a wife. And make marriages with us, and give your daughters to us, and take our daughters to yourselves, so you shall dwell with us, and the land shall be before you, dwell in and trade in, and acquire possessions for yourself. And, and I want to go just a little bit further, so continue on here in the next few verses. And then Shechem said to her, uh, Shechem said, then Shechem said to her father, which was Jacob and to her brothers, Let me find favor in your eyes. And whatever you say to me, I will give. Ask me never, ever so much a dowry and gift, and I will give according to what you say to me. But give me the young woman as a wife. Did you catch something there? Did you catch that he's willing to make the sacrifice? 
to get the opportunity to marry Dinah. I'm willing to make the sacrifices. I'm willing to go through the rituals, routines. I'm willing to do whatever you tell me to do to get this. And most of us would chalk that up as that's sincere. And I would say it was. But it's missing something. It's desperately missing something. Because in all of these verses, what you will not find from the sons of Jacob figuring out how they're going to make their deal with them, there's no mention of how important it is to love the God of their covenant. It's not married to God. It's married to ritual. It's married to form. It's married to this is what we do. But it's not married to God. And so one of the things we have to be very careful for is that we're inviting people to make sacrifices. And I'm telling you, we are. We're telling you to make the sacrifices of self-pleasure. We're telling you you're going to make the sacrifices and live in self-denial to follow Jesus. We're going to tell you that you're going to spend your money not on yourself all the time, but it's going to go in places where God wants it. We're going to tell you a lot of things about that. But I'm going to tell you that if that's where it ends, don't even get started. Don't even get started. It's not one step getting closer by telling you how much you've got to give and how much you've got to sacrifice. What we're really telling you is, you've got to find Jesus. Because if the love of God isn't driving the sacrifice, then we're missing what this is all about. Let's go back to verses 8 and 10. I spoke with them saying, The soul of my son Shechem longs for your daughter. Please give her to him as a wife. And make marriages with us. And give your daughters to us. And take our daughters to yourselves. And you shall dwell with us. And the land shall be before you. Dwell and trade in it and acquire possessions for yourselves in it. Something I was thinking about as I was reading those verses, something just caught me, and it's the key element to evil. The key element to evil is not to give us its raw blast of wickedness and show absolutely nothing of ethics or morality to it. It's what's married. What makes evil so wicked is how it's married to its morality. How it has its part to play with it. It's only playing with it as a mouse. It doesn't adhere to it, but it uses it in a certain sense. So one key element that sits at the heart of evil is to mix with the good and to blend. That's such a key part of it. And so it is rare to find evil in its raw form or without anything moral tied to its core. What makes it so evil that it borrows something of our ethics, and that's exactly what uh, that quote from A.W. Tozer said is that it's usually most of what's commendable in the world is our ethics, but we're still perishing because it's not just about ethics. I have over the uh, years begin to get to the place where I'm beginning to feel a shift when I hear somebody tell me, not because I don't regard it, but it's... uh, It's about, and please hear me well and careful with what I'm saying. Um, Is the the idea behind it is it's got to be it's biblical. Is that biblical? Is that biblical? And I'm afraid that so many people 
that haven't tempered in their spirit what it means to be connected with God, and yet they're trying to connect with what's biblical. And they're not doing it because there's something about us not being truly connected to the Holy Spirit and morally developed by the impressions of God in our spirit that we begin to fight as if we're really shooting for something biblical when our hearts are divorced from God. You're not biblical at all. You can rearrange things theology-wise. You can have things in your head, but you're not biblical at all because your spirit isn't under the dominion of God, but your mind or your head is, as if it were. But that's the disconnect. So we see this kind of thing happening where he thinks of this as permissible. Why don't we just blend? Your daughters with my daughters. Your, your music with my music. Your entertainment with my entertainment. Why don't we just blend it all together and make it work? You know, or can't we all just be one big family? And people are trying to redefine the heart of God and the ways of God by actually thinking somehow that we can redefine His morals and blend it with worldly mindset. And it's never going to happen. It's never going to cave to it. You can't make it work. And so we find murder comes out of jealousy, theft from need, hate from injustice, and abuse from betrayal. We feel the sense of, I'm going to protect justice, so I am going to fight. I will kill. I will hurt. I will do whatever it takes to protect justice. And there's, there's a point when done well, we're not necessarily saying that justice shouldn't be dealt with, but we're just in things that are done wrong. But the framework around it is missing something. It's missing something desperately. Let's look at, again at these the verses 11 through 12, if you would. And Shechem said to her father and her brothers, Let me find favor in your eyes, and whatever you say I will give. Ask me ever so much dowry and gift, and I will give according to what you say to me. But give me the young woman as a wife. Inwardly, your Shechem is bargaining with you to compromise any virtue of your faith so that he can get permission to invade your life. This is what Satan is doing. This is what the devil is doing. Whether you're like, I don't see a devil, so I don't believe a devil, or whatever you want to do. But reality case is, is that if you'll bargain over one virtue that Jesus has set forth in your heart, if you'll bargain for it, the reason for it is to get permission to get into all of your life. See, that's how evil works. Evil doesn't work by coming in and taking you by a storm. Evil works by getting you to submit a little something at a time. Because the moment you compromise one virtue, it says something about you. It says you are at heart willing to compromise any and all virtues. It's just a matter of time before I get you there. And Christianity is stumbling in the dark because the devil found a way to rearrange gospel grace to get us to believe that we could compromise our virtues and still be able to walk in the power of God. The power of God, what? Forgiveness. But not the power of God to subdue the lust inside of me and help me live more fully for Him. And so essentially, there's the Shechem that's in 
all of our lives in some degree, and there's this sound that romances us, and this thought that there's this really compelling to sacrifice anything for, to be a part of the kingdom of God. And it's not all about your sacrifice anymore. It's not all about what you give. And your virtues aren't tucked into how much you surrender and give to others. We think, well, I give to so-and-so and I do so much labor and I tithe so much money and I come to church so often. And you think of all the things, the good things that you've done in your life. And by some merit, we feel like we've built our credentials off of that. And that I have some credential before God and man because I've done stuff and I'm a good person and look what others don't. And I can compare myself. And in the end, your sacrifices are not helping you to worship. That mentality is only killing you to what God wants to help you with. And so there's this thought that once we begin to have intermarriage with blended morals, once we begin to invite that idea that that's how this works, and I can intermarry with blended morals, it's a sign that you made the deal with the devil. There's some Christian men you need to confront your life with. There's some Christian young men. There's Christians all over. And what we're finding in ministry is that it doesn't take long before you uncover the immoralities that somehow are under the rock of your belief. I'm like, well, are you going to quit doing that? Are you going to quit dishonoring God through that act? And you're hiding it because you know that God doesn't honor it. You don't honor it. Your conscience is ridiculously on fire. And you have voices speaking into your life. Stop. Don't go there. Change your actions. Move forward. And what we're really saying is, grasp God and repent. And let Him in. But we've got a, it's society around us. It's got mixed morals into Christianity. And it's getting into the way that we sing songs and the kind of music that attracts us. Because if it has more of a worldly tint to it, we want it. And here we are, and God's like, by the Holy Spirit, it says in the Word of God, it tells us that without blemish, He's coming back for a holy church without spot or wrinkle. Is He talking about no imperfections in your life? No. But He's talking about what isn't in and under the authority of Christ. It's not there. You can't, tell, you can't go tell the world and the church and everybody else around you and the people you consider to be good people, this is the way Jesus wants me to live. No, this is the way that I've chosen to live. And it's killing me inside and I know it. And so we're trying to help people understand. You can't intermarry these morals and blend them together and say, I didn't make a deal with the devil. That's what's at the heart of what he's trying to do. Now the power of this is this, the fact that you'll find yourself intermarried with blended morals and you never intended to to begin with. And that inner struggle and turmoil that you have of I can't keep doing this and I can't keep giving over to it is always going to be there until you surrender to Jesus. And here He is. You see the example. This is your Shechem. This isn't your Jesus. This is the weight of what the devil is trying to do inside of you. And if you don't surrender to Jesus and let Him have your Shechem and say no to the devil, I'm not making a deal with you today. You can tell me that I can go do this and it'll be alright. You can tell me 
that I can throw away my opportunity to be with Jesus today. You can tell me all kinds of things. I'm not making a deal with you. I won't do it. Some of us need the boldness of to stand up for what you actually believe. I don't know why I got so hot about that. Amen. Thank you for that. Awesome. I need it. Because here's the world. We're not on a playground. We're on a battlefield. We're on a battlefield. If nothing else, just to get you to read your Bible, much less to have the Holy Spirit reveal it to you. We're on a battlefield. And and here I want to give this secret to you. If you're a brother and a sister, and you're fighting, not because you're going through struggle, and please hear me, because the grace of God is in this too. I go through a struggle to maintain faithfulness. Amen. It's the difference of when you start making your theology work so that it's okay to blend these morals. There's another thing when we're like, I absolutely don't believe it, and I struggle around the deal with it, on what God wants me to do, but I'm not married to it. I'm not going to give in to the devil's lies and say, just give in and do what you want. I'm not going to do it. So there is this struggle that we go through. There's this battle that we're in. There's this fight to stay our souls on on the heights of heaven. And I want you to hear this. If you're doing what God wants you to do, expect the devil to present his best game at you. Expect hell to unleash its fire on you because that's what's going to happen. Because the worst thing that can happen, and and understand this, there's no principality and power at work that's just going to give you over to Jesus. (laughs) They're not going to let you just have your way, the Lord have His way in your life without putting up a fight. But your power is in Jesus. Now I want to read in the verses 13 through 17. But the sons of Jacob answered, verses 13 through 17. Make sure I didn't say that too fast. But the sons of Jacob answered Shechem and Hamor his father and spoke deceitfully. Yeah, I want you to capture that. Because he had defiled Dinah their sister. And they said to them, we cannot do this thing to give our sister to one who is uncircumcised. For that would be a reproach to us. But on this condition, we will consent to you if you will become as we are. If every man of you is circumcised, then we will give our daughters to you. And we will take your daughters to us. And we will dwell with you. And we will become one people. But if you will not heed to us to be circumcised, then we will take our daughter to you. Now, We just looked at a man who's married to the world. But now, we're going to look at some men that that are supposed to be a part of the covenant of God who've missed the whole mark of it. And see, this is interesting because uh, the anger in Jacob's sons seduced them to misrepresent the condition of their covenant so that they could act on their lust for revenge. Now, here's where we have to be careful when we look at what the Bible says. Sometimes we have something to protect. But are we misrepresenting what God has in His Word 
because we're protecting something? Is there something in our life that we're trying to protect? And and this is interesting to me because I think of the gospel and some of us don't want to touch somebody or be around another guy who says a swear word. I don't want non-Christian people coming into my house and doing work for me. I'm, I'm not going to put up with in the environment of my life and that mentality I think suits right what we're talking about. Because Jesus talks about to us, He says, the gospel of forgiveness is the very thing that compels us to love people that don't have it yet. So what we're doing is, even the jobs that we're interested in, well, I'm not going to go work in a job that has this evil environment to it. Why not? It's going to pervert me. Why? Are you married to Jesus? Like, Are you committed to that? Because don't you see the value of what you believe in so much so that nothing could stop you from being faithful to God? Well, I don't want that I don't want that stuff getting into me because why? Because you're afraid that you're gonna start doing it yourself. So then there's this idea of the way that we understand the covenant of God is how we look at the thought of somebody coming to God. So here's a picture for you. So and so, we ask them, hey, come and surrender your life to Jesus. And they come, maybe come to the altar, maybe stay, say, a, say a prayer with me. And then we're like, okay, what's the next thing you're doing? What's the next thing you're doing? You're analyzing this, the change in their moral life right then. We're looking for the change in their moral life. How are you behaving? But let me ask you a question. How are they supposed to be behaving? Well, they're supposed to not cuss anymore. If they were in adultery, they're done with their adultery. If they're, you know what I'm saying? Well, they're supposed to be way better, and I should see they should be running to every Bible study, and they should be coming to my house for tea and and more. Uh, how they should be living their life? They should be surrendering to discipleship. And I would like to say that in the ingredient of somebody who's sincere, that's all. But what measure do you give? to the outward change in their life before you believe in the credibility of their faith. Well, I don't believe it's credible because they're not changed enough. How much longer should I give to them? And you haven't figured out how to determine that. Neither have I. Because something I realized is is that I can't decide how quickly you're going to shed your past and your way of life. But what I can do is, I can listen to you. And I can capture as I'm listening to you that authenticity that comes from a heart that's captivated by God. And I can keep listening for that because no matter what I see in your life, no matter how hard or more difficult it is for you to make outward changes that correlate with your love for Jesus, as long as I know that you're captivated in love for Jesus, that's going to come. That's going to come. But what I'm not going to tell you is, I need you to make this change and this change and this change. I need you to change your outfits. I need you to change your clothes. I need you to do all of this. 
then you can start coming to the altar. Then you can start believing in Jesus. And that's what they did. And they did it because they had a revenge issue in their life. And some of us, by the way we've been treated, the things we've gone through, the abuses we've been through, we're having a hard time accepting Jesus' love for what it is. So their anger seduced them. Have you ever been under the threshold of your anger and said things and done things in anger? You're like, I regret every bit of it. Actually, I'd like to know, is there anybody here that did something in anger that they didn't regret? You know, there's probably times, but it's hard to discern those moments, isn't it? I'm going to share a couple things with you. Unbridled anger has a way of changing the heart which removes the filter to honor what is sacred and holy. And this can be said of any lust. So once it gets inside of us, it changes my heart and removes the filter to honor what's sacred. I want to share with you a a couple quotes here. One is by Martin Luther King Jr. I hope... uh, Awesome. He's doing a great job. Um, Like an unchecked cancer... Hate corrodes. Who else but Martin Luther, right? (laughs) Corrodes the personality and eats away at its vital unity. Hate destroys a man's sense of values and his objectivity. It causes him to describe the beautiful as ugly and the ugly as beautiful. And to confuse the true with the false and the false with the true. Well said. Well said. I think this one, you'll find a little humor in it, but I think it belongs to us. The Ambrose Beer said, Speak when you are angry, and you will make the best speech you will ever regret. Been there. (laughs) I've so done that. Wow, I was so inspired by the feelings of anger. I said some very profound things, but I regretted it deeply afterwards. And so these, I don't know, it doesn't tell us the level of regret they had because they were looking at this this, this framework of what was done to their, their sister. And they couldn't get past that. Circumcision, rather than being represented as an act of devoted love for God by the covenant people of God, became a cover for deceit that in the end made Shechem look like a saint compared to the sons of Jacob. Now, I don't think, I don't feel like in this room, I'm talking to you guys as if this is your... This is your struggle. (laughs) Like, this is what you guys are going through. But the thing is, is that it's a very real part of what's struggling to be able to share in what worship is all about, what God is. Now, this isn't scriptures about worship, but this is about becoming one in the covenant of God, which essentially is a part of our worship. And so what we've gotten part of is, is that we're used to coming to church. We sing some songs. Some of us do it with a lot more liberty than others. We sing the songs, and as long as we sing the songs and felt like we did a good job with it or there was something meaningful in what we had done, we had shared in worship. And for some, that defines worship for them. But these are the things that are on the outskirts of what real worship is when Jesus talks about worship Him in spirit and in truth. So what we're doing is fighting a culture that's insisting on. There's a part of our culture that insists on you Telling people, essentially, you can't come to God through Jesus Christ first. You have to be circumcised. 
You have to have some measure of morality that suits my personality or my interests in order to make this thing work. And there's a part of our culture that's demanding you to be that way. There's a part of you that says as long as there's something about godly principles to protect, you've got to protect those principles more than you've got to work at converting the soul. If, if in the moment that somebody comes in here and says, I want to redefine marriage from one man and one woman, and I'm going to do that by walking in your doors because my whole life shows you something otherwise. And you and I get caught up in the fact that there's sin in front of us or there's something that's not right in front of us and this is not what the Bible says and that's what you get stuck on. And you don't want to preach the gospel. You don't want to show them what Jesus Christ does through the work of the cross of Christ and introduce them to the new life. Then let's just quit coming to church. Because that's what the world is starting to see. Like the first time I come in the presence as a sinner, I come in the presence of a Christian, they do this. Automatically. And what we've done is say, we want you to be circumcised before you come into our doors so that you can receive Christ as your Savior. And that's the hang-up. And then what we've known, and that's not been your experience, is it? That you came to be more enough moral, virtuously, virtuously immoral enough that finally God said yes to you? The invitation was the gospel is, you're, I know me, I was like, I'm so filthy, I'm dirty, I'm so un... God, there's no way you can love me. I'm not, I'm so bad that if there's one person God can't love, it's got to be me. That's how I came to the altar. I'm so not worth that love. And then the love of God changed me from the inside out. New man in Christ Jesus. I got some smiles. I got some agreement with this. That's right. That's what Jesus is doing. And that's the beauty of it is that as he changes you on the inside, it's just great to have outward reflection of it. Wow. I don't, look, I don't look like a street thug anymore, you know? Maybe I look like the Prince of Peace, but I still was rotten in the core of my heart. When our motive sways to self-serving ends, our service to God is mixed with it. And no amount of pretense can undo the evil that comes from it. See, what's interesting about the sons of Jacob, and, and they, they constantly gave him nightmares. It wasn't just this story. We'll read the rest of their life. But they're constantly bringing Jacob under this weight of stress. As a matter of fact, their brother Joseph, who just showed off his coat of colors, and they were jealous because of that, that they threw him in a pit and then sold him as a slave into Egypt. Oh, this kind of embarrassment that we bring to God, not because we don't profess the, the faith of Jesus Christ, because we don't present it in the way that Jesus did. And so we want to invite the Shechem to come, and we want him to be a part of the covenant, but not because he got circumcised, but because he came to love the same God that came into my life and changed me. And if that can't happen, I can't intermarry with him. right? I, if you can't come to Jesus for Jesus' sake, if you've got to be 
There's got to be some other reason, some other way. You're coming here to just get the good of Jesus and throw out the rest. Then we can't do this yet. It's not yet for you. But if you can come to Jesus on his terms and on his terms alone, then there's no reason we can't make this work between the two of us. And my greatest pleasure, listen to me, my greatest pleasure, whether I'm a pastor or if I'm just a Christian, my greatest pleasure is to watch somebody shed the old life and watch it happen right in front of me. Oh my goodness. Watch them just change in the bright colors and not just the joys that happen, but man, the grave clothes are coming off. The way that you live and what you do is changing. I'm just watching that. But what thrills me, oh, what thrills me is that it's not what you're doing. It's what's creating the reason you're doing it. And I want to impress on your hearts this morning with the the heart of the Gospel. Go share it with somebody. Go share this news with somebody. Help them understand that Jesus heals me from the inside out. Let them look at your life. I was looking at a man not too, too long ago, a couple weeks ago, just right across from me. And the words that broke him, the words that broke him into tears, was when I said, it, what changed me was the presence of Jesus. And he looked at me with these tears, and he was ready to close the meeting, and I know why he was, because he's like, the embarrassment of crying in front of you is more than I can handle. But I needed what you just said to me. And I felt like the Holy Spirit dropped inside of me, James. That's what you have to give. You have the give, the vital reality that this isn't, this isn't uh, done because you've earned it. This is done because God gave it in His great love and you're just surrendering that opportunity for somebody else to believe it and them to get the benefits just like you. And it has immeasurably ministered to me a new heart for wanting to share it with somebody else. Sometimes you share it in helping somebody. You're fixing your shoveling, you're raking their yard, you're doing something for them, but you're expressing in outward form the love that you have for Jesus and you're just preparing them for the greater revelation of that. And you know, we're all Christians, I hope, and if we're not, maybe we're going to get there today. But I want to just say this. I think that because that love of Jesus, brothers and sisters, nothing has been more meaningful to me, whether I'm in the pulpit or not, Nothing is more meaningful to me than to see the reflection of Jesus' love through your life. I don't care how you do it. I don't care. I'm just grateful to see it happening right in front of you. And not just for me. That's what's beautiful about it. It's for one another. Don and Linda have shared how Dan has been there to give them a, a ride back and forth. Don has been a blessing to me over the years. I'm sure times that he's forgotten about, but he would keep a watch. He would mow the lawn for the church because he cared. And so many of you have brought gifts to each other and blessings. Julia's love for John and Sandy has ministered to me immensely because I, I got somebody that bears the burden with me. And you know, it's not about whether somebody else could do it or not. It's a matter of the fact that I just want them to know I love them. Anything I could do would be a pleasure. And the only heartbreak is that somehow the Lord left me with this mortal frame 
this seems to be limited in how far and how many people I can do it for. But that's the difference. And if we all get that same heart together, Jesus, just keep pouring into me your great love because nothing feels like a sacrifice when it's just born out of the love of God. And I don't need recognition to go along with it. And I don't need a repayment to come along with it. I just, I'm grateful. I got everything I needed the moment Jesus started loving me. That's it. So I want to do one thing as we begin our time. We finish this time. And here's your moment. I know this is the one you've been all waiting for. As I said before, I feel like, you know, if you have something you want to lay before the Lord, just lay it before the Lord. If you're guilty of misrepresentation of Jesus and you feel like you're tugging on your heart to do so. But this is a moment where we get to pray. This is a moment when you and I, all of us together, get to share how much we love the Lord. And you can come forward and do that. and You can stay right where you're at and do it. But let's not miss the last part of this service and how authentically real it is just to say thank you, Jesus, and how much I love you. And give him praise. Bring the Sheffields into mind. Think about that man and how much you want to see the comfort of God for him. And the last thing I want to just remind you of as we pray together, remember the word of the Lord when he said this, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And our desire oftentimes goes to somebody else. It's usually not to us. So the Lord wants to minister to us today and give us the desires of our heart. I don't know what that is for you. I don't know what the desire of your heart is. I don't know if it's tugging on your heart for somebody. I don't know if it's something for our church. I don't know if it's for me. But I just want to say this. Let's just love the Lord together for a few more minutes and pray. And and I want to open these altars for you to come and pray. And I want you to just to share that to Jesus and give it as fully and as authentically as you know how. I know you already started to, but let's finish our service that way. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. I'm going to pray over you. And as I'm praying, I'm just welcoming you to come up. Come forward as the Lord's leading you. Kneel if the Lord's leading you to do that. But I just want you to spend these last moments appreciating and loving the Lord. Father, we really do. Lord, what a pleasure it is. Though imperfectly set, (laughs) as it were, Lord, as we look at our lives, we see the imperfections far easier than we do the, where we have no flaws. Lord, as a matter of fact, I don't know that we feel courageous enough to say that there's one point in our life that we don't see a flaw, even at our best, God. But what's amazing still is that the power of Jesus' love for us has already been revealed. Lord, we don't have to wonder how you feel about us. We don't have to wonder if we can open our hands to you and say, here I am, Lord, ready to surrender better and, Lord, ready to receive what heaven has to offer. But I know you have a lot to give, Lord. You are looking at a room of hungry hearts and desperate people that just want more of Jesus in their life. So, Father, would you help us in these last few moments to sing these this song and to worship, Lord, and to pray to you And let us just share with you from the honey of our lips how much we dearly love the God who's given us himself. In Jesus' name, amen.